So think about this. The glory of God is man fully alive. That's what second century theologian Irenaeus said. The glory of God is man fully alive. Now, what is a tangible picture of mankind being fully alive? It's a celebration. What do you have to celebrate? And do you really know how to celebrate? If I said, you've got to celebrate something today, what would you be celebrating? Would you like have a party to watch some sporting event? Boring. Would you celebrate a graduation? Boring. Would you celebrate a promotion? Boring. Would you celebrate a retirement party? Super boring. (laughs) The greatest thing to celebrate is love. And that's what weddings are about. Weddings are about celebrating love, but weddings are only a shadow of the eternal celebration of love that you are made for. They're only a shadow of that. So the disciples, we learned last week, the disciples have just started following Jesus and they're following him. He's saying, you want me? You want to follow me? And they say, yeah. And he says, okay, good. Get ready to party because the first thing that we're doing is we're going to go to a wedding celebration to celebrate the greatest gift of all, love. We're in week seven of our series called Dawn. Dawn means the first appearance of light, and we're looking at Jesus' first appearance as the light of the world, and the first thing he does is take us right into a celebration. We're reading in John 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read that for you. It's going to be up on the screen if you want to follow along. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who have drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And then when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and all his disciples believed in him. What we're learning about here is the essence of celebrating. The essence of celebrating. And the essence of celebrating is going to tell us three things it's going to tell us first our desire to celebrate then our reason to celebrate, and then the cost for us to celebrate. Our desire to celebrate, the reason to celebrate, and the cost for us to be able to celebrate. And in the first point, 
our desire to celebrate, we see Jesus' very first miracle. Now, remember, we've been talking about John. John does things on purpose. There's always a reason why he does something. And he's, this is Jesus' first miracle. And the first thing he does, he doesn't take the disciples to heal the sick. He doesn't take the disciples to help the poor. The first thing he does is turn water into wine. Now, if you're the disciples, you're thinking, Man, I started following you because I thought I was going to do something that was meaningful. I thought I was going to go help the poor. I thought I was going to go help the sick. But you are taking me to turn water into wine to save a dying party. And if you're thinking to yourself, why would Jesus do that? Then you really don't understand him. Jesus does not want you to have a normal life. He wants you to have the life of your dreams. The crippled person, they don't want to just be normal. They want to go right past normal into the eternal celebration of love. The the poor person doesn't just want to be rich. They want to go beyond that. Once they have money, they still want more. They want the eternal celebration of love. You are longing to be fully alive. And to be fully alive means to enter into this eternal celebration of love. The reason Jesus turned water into wine is just to offer up a shadow of what our future is in him. You don't want to be normal. You want to be loved for the rest of eternity. You want to be cherished. You want to be the treasure of someone. Now, if you're saddened by what I'm saying, because maybe you've been chasing love and you haven't found love, maybe you've been divorced, maybe you're just frustrated because you've been trying to find somebody to marry and you can't seem to find anybody. Listen, earthly weddings... And earthly love is only a shadow of what you are made for. Your husband or wife or your future husband or wife, they're not going to make you happy enough. You long for a greater love. You know the movies where people get married and they live happily ever after. And we love watching those movies because they live happily ever after. And the movie's over and we're like, we feel good. And then the second movie comes out. And we're like, wait, I thought it was happily ever after. Why is there a second movie? And then we find in the second movie there's a, a divorce has happened or somebody's died. And so then the second movie happens. And then the end of that movie, it's happily ever after. And we're like, okay, good. And then a third movie comes out. And it just kind of keeps going on and on. It's but a shadow of your deepest longing, earthly love. Um, I think I have a good marriage. And, um, but I, so I, I like to do this thing to Elise where I'm going to pretend that I'm going to kiss her, but then instead I lick her face and yeah, I know. I think it's hilarious. Uh, she hates it. Um, Jesus would never do that to her. Now, now listen, um, <laughs> listen, listen. So I lost myself, yeah. I don't, listen, I don't have what it takes to be her eternal husband. 
I'm not enough. Every spouse is going to their other in need of something. And they're really searching for this deep love from their spouse, but really they're made for a greater love. I'm only temporary. I can't be Elise's deepest want. He's the one who has this eternal love for her. The best thing I can do for her as a husband is to show her that. So I lick her face to remind her that Jesus would never do this to her. Um, no, that's not it. It's, it's when she's crying or when she's feeling insecure about something. I say, there's a greater love than this. There's a greater love that you are made for, that you will experience, that will wipe away every bit of insecurity that you have in eternity. It's not me, but it's Christ. I'm not her end. Christ is her end. I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to mess up. If she's going to me to find a celebration, I'm going to mess it up. He keeps the celebration going, not me. I don't have the wine to bring to the party. He does. I'm only a shadow of something that is far greater. We've got to stop going to our spouse to give us what only Christ can. They're only a shadow of what you long for. Singles, stop going from guy to guy or from girl to girl thinking that they're going to give you what you long for because it's not going to happen. You're longing for something that's far greater. Some people will never get married because they're waiting for this person who is going to satisfy this eternal longing for love, and they're never going to experience it because they're not meant to experience it here. Some of you might be married, but you're miserable because you're going to your spouse to give you what only Christ can give you. Some of you might be divorced because you expected your spouse to be able to give you what only Christ could give you or the other way around. And some of you are te absolutely terrified of being alone because you think that this eternal love that you long for is found here and you're not finding it in people and a spouse. And so you're terrified that this is going to be your life forever. Listen, your longing is for an eternal love story. And if you'll just open your eyes, you will see that it's right here before you being offered to you in Christ. And he's here and he's saying, be mine. And if you'll just see that and see what he's promising to you, it's going to give you reason to celebrate. That's our second point, reason to celebrate. While Jesus was at this celebration, so he's here at the celebration, and he's watching everything happen, he would have had two things on his mind. The first thing he would have had on his mind is the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the first thing he would have on his mind. You guys know that Jesus is getting married? Did you know that? At the dawning of eternity, there is a great wedding where Jesus gets married. Here's what it says. It talks about it in Revelation. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. 
says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Here you go. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. Did you hear what the celebration was? First of all, there, it's, it's like the roaring of waters, many waters. This is a huge celebration, like a waterfall coming down into this deep water, waves crashing, and then mighty pearls of thunder. I don't know what mighty pearls of thunder are, but it sounds like a good time. It sounds like somewhere we want to be. And did you hear, did you hear what the celebration is? The celebration is of Christ and you. He is bringing his disciples to a wedding to celebrate so they're offered up a glimpse of the shadow of what is to come. That's the kind of love you only dream about. And, and here's the thing, fellas. We're going to have to get over the fact that we're called the bride of Christ for eternity. And listen, heaven is not about your sexuality. That's not what it is about. Your identity is not found in your sexuality. In heaven, there is neither male nor female. Your, we're, our culture is obsessed with us finding our identity and our sexuality. And what this is saying is that your identity is not found in that. It's in found standing across the way of your future groom who is, in, who is Christ at your wedding day. Your identity is found in that you are the bride of Christ. That's, not, that's, for, that's for male, female, straight, gay, transgender, whatever. That's not where your identity is. It's found on the wedding day where you stand across the way from the bridegroom who says, be mine. The king of all of creation is saying that. That's where your identity is found. This is the kind of love that puts you at rest. That is what's being offered here. The kind of love that wipes away every single one of your fears. The kind of love that buries forever to forget about your pain and your hurt. This is the kind of love that gives you an eternal bliss and a forever ecstasy. It's the kind of love that makes, listen, listen, it's the kind of love that makes mankind fully alive. Celebrating. Celebrating. If you're a Christian, that means you are engaged to Christ. He has proposed and he's committed to you. And the rest of your life here is just a long engagement party. Waiting for the day. You know, there's, I, I would say probably of all the songs that have been written forever, most of them, if you pile them up, are love songs. And they go like this. I found love and then I lost it. 
and then I found it again, and then I lost it. And if it's a country song, there's a dog and a truck involved. But otherwise, you find it and you lose it. And this keeps going. Listen, if the songs were about Christ, they would not be about losing love at all. They would be about a love that has pursued you, chased you down, got you, and is never letting you go. That's a lot to celebrate. And there's a celebration shortage. In the movie Monsters, Inc., um, good transition, huh? Um, in the movie Monsters, Inc., there is a power shortage because there's a scare shortage. So, so the monsters scare kids, and it gives them power. Um, kind of a horrible concept for a movie for kids, but, you know, whatever. Um, I like the movie. And here's the thing. We have a celebration shortage. And the reason is because our eyes are not fixed on our future prize. They're not fixed on eternity. They're not fixed on the promise that is offered to us in Christ. He is the solution to your lack of joy in your life, and he's the solution to why you're so boring. Um, are you celebrating like someone who's been engaged to the king of creation? Does your life look like that? When you know your future is that, it's cause and reason for celebrating now. So we're looking at um, a Jewish culture in the Bible. And for in the Jewish culture, wine is a symbol of celebration. And in the Jewish culture, the weddings lasted up to a week, sometimes up to two weeks. Now, I'm going to say it is absolutely embarrassing the way that Western Christians celebrate today. Christians, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Christians are known as being people who are boring. Um, we have this idea of church where we come and we're sitting here and uh, we're listening to somebody talk. We're not really sure what he's talking about, but he's saying these things. And so we're trying to pretend like we're listening um, and it's talking about eternity. But, you know, I don't I don't know. Or we're singing these songs that speak about joy, but they're sung in such a dull way. So we finally get through church. We leave and we're like, OK, I did it. I got through church, I did what I was supposed to do, now I'm going to go have some fun. Um, Christians are known as being uh, joy killers. You know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You know, you're at a party, and you look out, you peek out the curtain, and you see the Christians come, and you say, oh, the Christians are coming, it's going to get boring now. Um, that is not how it's supposed to be. The founder of Christianity went straight to a celebration and he turned water into wine to keep the celebration going. I'm sorry, Christians ought to be throwing the best parties. We have the most to celebrate. If Christianity is true, if we're here and we're saying, yeah, we believe this is true, then it ought to produce people who are celebrating well. From now on, let's say Sundays are all about celebrating. We come here, we hear all the reasons why we ought to be celebrating. 
We hear them, we experience them, and then we go and celebrate for the rest of the day. And then we celebrate throughout the rest of the week. And then we come here again on Sunday morning to hear all the reasons we should celebrate. And we go and we do it. And we have a whole year of celebration. And then we have a lifetime of celebrating because we are engaged to the king of creation. And Jesus is the true master of the ceremony. He sees our lack of joy. He sees our lack of celebration. And he knows what the cost is to pick the party back up again. He knows the cost to give us a celebration. And he knows what the cost is for this great wedding. And the party's expensive, and he's the only, absolute only one who can pay for it. So the cost of the celebration... Mary's here at the party, and she says to Jesus, hey, the party's coming to an end. They ran out of wine. Can you do something about it? And he says, my hour isn't here. And what the heck does that mean? Well, all throughout John, the gospel of John that we're in, Jesus is going to keep saying, my hour is not yet here. My hour is not yet here. What does that mean? The hour means his death on the cross. See, the problem for us is that we aren't worthy to be his bride. I know that's not popular to say, but we aren't worthy to be his bride. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament commonly refers to God's people as his adulterous bride. And even uses language as to say that God's people have spread their legs to false gods. I mean, that's very graphic language to use to describe how God's people are treating him. It's the greatest violation of someone who loves you, and the result is that we, here's the result. We're here, we're at the wedding day, and we're standing alone at the altar. We long to see a bridegroom standing beside us, but we're alone. And then we see in the distance, we see Christ coming. And he's got a whole bunch of people coming with him. He's got the prophets. He's got the priests. He's got the kings all coming with him. And he comes up to us, and he comes up to you, and he says, be mine. And you say, how is this possible after everything I've done? I'm not worthy for this. And he says, I've made you worthy. Do you see what Jesus is, here's what he uses. When he's turning water into wine, he takes purification jars in order to turn that water into wine. Now here's what that means. He's using something that makes what is impure, pure. We are his stained bride and he's come to make us pure. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, listen to this. Christ loved the church, which the church is the bride, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. He prepares us for himself. How? In that great hour. 
purifies us, sounds weird, with his blood. That's a thing that you hear in Christianity, how, how Christ's blood was shed. And here's what it means. It's a very significant thing. He suffers, his blood is shed in the place of his adulterous bride to make her pure. He wants you to be his bride. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. A bride always tries to look beautiful on her wedding day. She puts makeup on, wears this beautiful dress, and here's what Jesus says, get rid of all of it. He says, I've got garments for you to wear, not those, another set of garments. He says, stop trying to fix yourself up to look beautiful for me. I've done it. I've been the one who has made you beautiful again. Here's what it says in Isaiah 61.10. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. Clothed me with garments of salvation as a bride adorns herself with jewels. These garments of salvation he bought at the cross with his life. The cost of that wedding, the cost for you to wear those garments, it's paid for by the life of the groom. Many of you here might be thinking Christianity is about earning love or about earning a spot at that wedding day. Jesus is saying you can't earn it. You've messed up too bad. You have, you ha listen, you have to let him buy the wedding dress for you. If you say, Jesus, please don't die for me, don't die for me, don't die for me, then you can't stand there with him because the cost for you to be made pure, you can't pay for it. Your, your pockets are empty. You don't have money for the wedding. You don't have money for the garments. You don't have money for the dress. You don't have money for the makeup. You have nothing. And so you come to him empty. That's how the Christian comes to Christ, absolutely empty with nothing. And he says, here, have it all. Even take my life. He has to cover you with his own righteousness. So let me tell you about the cost of this wedding. It's very expensive, the most expensive wedding in all of eternity. Um, and, and here's what you got to know. In order for him to drink, listen, in order for him to drink this wine cup of celebration with you for all of eternity, in order to get there, in order to have this celebration, in order to drink with you in eternity, he has to drink the cup of judgment and wrath on the cross in the place of his adulterous bride. See, before Christ comes to you, you are engaged to death. And your wedding day is at the cross. There is a cross for you. And what Jesus does is he comes and he takes the cross that is for you and he makes it his own. 
he can't, st- listen, he can't stand the thought of eternity without you. So he does whatever it takes to win you back. He goes to the cross for you. And here's what happens when you really taste this. I mean, it, it's no longer an intellectual thing, but you are actually really tasting what Christ has done for you on the cross and the sweetness of it. You're changed by it. And the whole thing becomes, his love becomes all the more sweeter because you see the cost he was willing to pay to get you. He's saying, I'm coming for you, I'm yours, and I'm coming after you, and I'm going to go to the cross in your place. And that truth echoes on for all of eternity. And it's not ever becoming duller in eternity, but it's becoming more and more real. The fact that he's done this for you and this celebration continues and it grows. It doesn't get smaller. It gets bigger on and on for all of creation. Whereas in death, everything becomes more and more nothingness in life with him. Everything becomes more and more real and alive. There's a song, and the chorus of the song is talking about our own journey towards this great day, the dawning of eternity, the dawning of this wedding day. And here's how it goes. The bride has found her treasure hidden under a crown of thorns. Now the queen of all that's measured has come home to be adorned. The wedding day is now before us. The groom stood broken and the bride looked on. Come and sit. Enjoy the banquet. Rejoice in glory in heaven's dawn. He picked you. He loves you. He wants you. That's reason to celebrate. So let's be known for our celebrating. Let's pray. God, we want this to be real to us. We don't want this to be an idea in our mind or a concept that we should be people who celebrate, but we want to know all the reasons why we should be really celebrating. Make those reasons real to us. God, we don't want the cross to just be a concept or an idea. We don't want this future marriage to just be a concept or an idea, but we want them to be very real in our hearts. And so reveal them to us now so that we might live as people who are engaged to the king of creation. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.